Welcome and thank you for listening to this message from Legacy Church New Braunfels. To connect with us, go to LegacyNB.com. Now enjoy this message from Pastor Jay Miller. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, I, I want to have you turn to three passages of Scripture. Three passages. First one's going to be Luke chapter 5. Put a marker there. Luke chapter 5. We're going to stay in the Gospels. I love hearing the paper turn. Go to, after Luke chapter 5, go to Matthew chapter 14. Put a marker there. Matthew 14. Put a marker and then turn back to Matthew chapter 9 and keep it open at Matthew 9. So Luke 5, Matthew 14, and then Matthew chapter 9. Uh, thank you guys for really, uh, this is our second week of moving to the second service. And, and we knew there was going to be a transition time and period. And you guys last week did a fantastic job on the turnaround, and one thing I want to encourage you on is, obviously, you might see that we have a police officer um, that's going to be out there helping to direct traffic in between services and also is helping to provide a security uh, presence on the property. Um, Because of the way it operates, when we put out and post the job, it may or may not be the same officer every week, and so I want to ask you guys, help us and help him by following the directions, even if it's different from week to week, follow the directions the officer's giving you, so that way we can bring people in, we can get you guys out safely on that, and encourage him, bless him, pray for him as you're, as you're leaving, because uh, they, these guys and gals that, that serve in our police department, they need to hear that you love them and that you appreciate them, and so we know they're going to be blessed uh, just by being here, but make sure you bless them on the way out, and uh, we're going to continue to work on that timeline. I want to encourage you also, invite somebody to come to church with you, whether it's at the 9 a.m. or the 1130 service, but that's one of the reasons we, we went into the season of expansion as we were growing, and we want to open up the door and the opportunity for more people. And so second service was a great last week. We had about 50 folks that were here, and they were all engaged and excited. And so invite it, though, because this is where we're going to continue to grow with it, and really get, do appreciate you guys for helping us with that. So before I jump into the message, I want to reference this briefly, um, something I've been sensing in the Spirit, and I, and I asked the Lord, am I supposed to pray a mes- or preach a message specifically addressing what's going on in Israel and, and what the world stage and the end times? And he said, look, everything we're in right now is a wartime strategy. Like, like we have the peace of God that's beyond our ability to understand. Jesus has already won complete victory, like the enemy's already defeated but there is, a, there is a war that's going on in order to be able to establish the fullness of what Jesus accomplished into the earth. And that's what you're seeing on play. And we believe in terms of our, our uh, eschatology or end times is that this, Jesus is coming back for a victorious bride. So we've already won. He's looking for a bride who knows who she is fully in her identity a, a bride who's in, is in this joyfulness, a, a, a bride who knows how to be able to encourage and build up the earth and build up people. And, and so this is the position we have to be in. And whenever we have positions or, or situations that take place, it can really begin to challenge our heart and our belief system if we're not careful. Uh, in fact, uh, Michael, who was with us uh, several weeks ago for the, uh, um, for, for the trafficking conference, he's in, he's in Israel, and we're getting uh, daily uh, updates of what's happening on in the ground and really trying to encourage him. And, and here's what the Lord told me. He says, if you do not allow, if you allow your heart to submit to what you see, it, and Josh gave me a word during worship, was fantastic. If you allow your heart to submit to what you see in the earth, it will choke you out. And what it does is the enemy will actually choke your voice out from actually being able to declare the gospel. 
But if instead you realize, wait a minute, no, 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 I have victory, Jesus has victory, we are above, we're not below, I'm not going to allow the enemy to choke me out, I'm actually going to choke him out with the Lord, right? So no matter what I see, and I use the power of declaration, I use the power of prayer. Daniel, when he was praying, there was a season where it was 21 days that he was praying for breakthrough. And, and the angel came to him and said, hey, from the moment you began to pray, the Lord actually released me to come bring you an answer. But I had to wrestle with the prince of Persia. What was the prince of Persia? It was just a principality. That's all it was. There was a level of battle happening in the heavenlies. But because Daniel actually began to pray, the Lord could release an angel and an answer into the earth, which tells you this. The Lord wants to release an answer and a solution into the earth. And he's waiting for the voice of his body to actually raise up and begin to make prayers and declarations and going after this. And so what I want to tell you is pray for Israel. Pray for the Palestinian. What's going on? There's a lot of Palestinian civilians who are not part of Hamas who are in between this. If, you, if you've seen it, some of them, the, the Hamas is actually preventing them from actually getting out of the war zone because uh, it's just an evil type of situation. And we need to press into this. And here's the word that the Lord gave me. Matthew chapter 13. Don't turn to it. I just want to read it because I don't want to dig into it. I just want to give you an idea about it. Matthew 13, Jesus is talking about the, the parable of the tares and the wheat. Let me hear you say tares. Let me hear you say wheat. What's interesting about tares is tares in their seed form and their initial sprouting actually looks like wheat, but it's actually not wheat. And if it's, when it grows up, it actually has the capacity to uproot wheat that it grows beside. Okay, so this context. Jesus tells this parable, and then in Matthew 13, 36, he explains it to his disciples, to the apostles specifically. He says this, Then he dismissed the crowds and went into the house. His disciples approached him and said, Explain the parable of the weeds in the field to us. And he replied, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. Who is that? That's Jesus. So Jesus sows seed. Listen to who the seed is, or the field is. The field is the world. Very important to understand. So often we look at the, when he's talking about seed and and soil, it's talking about the hearts of people, and specifically your heart. But what Jesus is saying here is the Son of Man is sowing something, seed, into the world. The field is actually the world, which means a bunch of lost people, a lost system, a broken system, and he's sowing seed into it. Look what it says in, the, in who the seed is. Um, and the good seed, these are the sons of the what? The kingdom. So you are the seed. Okay? So you need to hear this specifically. Earlier on in Matthew, he talks about the seed and the sower being sown into the hearts of people, and the seed was the Word of God. So you must receive the Word of God so it grows up, it sprouts up inside of you, produces a fruit, a harvest, a 30, 60, 100-fold, but more than was put into it, so that He can sow you as a son or a daughter of the kingdom into the world. Hear this. Because the world needs sons and daughters of the kingdom to become the good seed so that therefore the light of the world is actually spread into the world. But look what happens. I just want you to pick up on this. Why is Hamas, why is ISIS, why is all the evil continuing to allow to be in the world? He gives us this answer. The tares or the weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest, listen to this, is the end of the age. 
We cannot talk about an end-time harvest of souls without also talking about a harvest where there's going to be the separation between the wheat and the tares. And up until that point, Jesus is about to tell us, they're going to reside side by side. So you need to be comfortable with the fact that there's still going to be evil in the world until Jesus does something. Listen what it says this. Therefore, just as the weeds are gathered, I'm sorry, let me go back up to that. The harvest is the end of the age. The harvesters are the angels. Therefore, just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels. They will gather from his kingdom everything that causes sin and those guilty of lawlessness. And they will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Obviously talking about hell. Verse 43. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Anyone who has ears should listen. There's going to be a point where the father says, enough is enough. The son of man will release the angels and say, okay, the tares have been allowed to grow up long enough. Now, pull them out. Okay, hear this. He can't pull them out unless there's actually mature wheat growing in the field of the earth. Hear this word. A mature stalk of wheat cannot be uprooted by a tear or the tear or the weed being pulled out because its roots are so deep in the soil of him, it doesn't matter what's uprooted. You are firmly rooted in him, and the world needs you so you can shine brightly. I'm going to say it over here. You're going to be the sons of light. You're going to shine brightly. Here's the point of this. It says, then... This will happen. And you could read that and say, well, we're not supposed to shine brightly until. No, what it's saying is this. You're meant to shine brightly now, but there's so many weeds and tares in the world right now that sometimes there's a lot, so much darkness, there's got to be a separation between light and dark. You're already supposed to be shining, so when he pulls out the weed, all that's left is the light. So it means your heart has to be positioned in a way not to get caught up and disappointed because there's, there's tares in the earth. Is there evil going on? Yes. It's brutal when you see infants that are beheaded. That's, that's incredibly evil. But we cannot let that determine our response. You hear what I'm saying? We have to be light. We have to stand out there and say, no, despite that, despite that, I am a solution to the answer of darkness in my community. And how can I help Israel? pray right now, that actually has an answer. But you know how also you can help? Go reach people out there. There are tares out there who will never turn to the Lord. That's why our battles not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities. But there's plenty of people who actually are growing up that have the potential to be wheat. And if we don't reach them with the gospel, they will become tares. But what happens when you reach them with the gospel? They become wheat. That's the gospel. So that then the harvest comes and the angels come out, all of a sudden they're going to go, man, this field's so daggum bright, I don't have anything to pull up. Let me go to the next city. You hear what I'm saying? We've been given authority and charge over a city, over a region, over a state, over a nation. Can you imagine when the harvest angels come out and they go, there's nothing to pull here. We're going over one county. 
Why? Because we decided that we're going to actually be good light in our soil and shine brightly. Y'all okay? So let's shine brightly despite the tears. So let's, let's look how we do this. The title of today's message is Pull on Jesus. Let me hear you say Pull on Jesus. Let's look at Matthew chapter 9, and I just want to give you a, a story that's going to set up the next story. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 20. This is a story that if you've grown up in the church, you've heard it before, but uh, if you haven't, it's okay. This is a fantastic story. It says this, Just then a woman who had suffered from bleeding for 12 years approached from behind Jesus and touched the tassel of his robe. For she said to herself, If I can just touch his robe... I'll be made well. But Jesus turned and saw her and says this, Have courage, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And listen to this. And the woman was made well that very moment. That word for well is the Greek word sozo. You might know it as salvation. Okay? So what is Jesus' response? Before the cross, there's something Jesus carries that's able to say, I'm not just touching your temporary issue that you're dealing with. I'm not just trying to comfort you for a moment, make you feel better. I'm actually going to make you completely sozoed. You're going to be saved. You're going to be healed. You're going to be set free. You're going to be thoroughly saved. In fact, the Greek word where it talks about this talks about being thoroughly rescued from evil. Like completely, fully pulled out of evil. And this is what happens in this moment with this woman. And so I want you to understand, where this took place was at Gennesaret. Let me hear you say Gennesaret. It took me a while as a Texan to learn how to say that. So now I've got it, so I'm going to be proud of the fact that I can say Gennesaret, okay? But Gennesaret was an important area or region that we're going to pick back up on again. So if Jesus paid it all, he wants us to be able to take and pull on what he's fully paid for. Now flip over to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. And we're going to pick up in verse 12. And, and, and I just want you to see, um, I was kind of wrestling with this going on, is that felt like there was a level of disappointment, a, a loss that took place because of what happened in Israel. It just kind of was like, that. oh, man, that's just, what do we do about that? It was this, this moment where it made me take a pause back, and I had to really get with the Lord. And the Lord took me to the story and says, I want you to see how Jesus handled a loss and what he did immediately afterwards. And if you can learn the lesson from that, you'll learn how to pull on Jesus. And so look what it says right here. Then his disciples came and removed John's body, buried it, and went and reported to Jesus. Who's John's body? That's just John the Baptist's body. This is after he's beheaded, okay? And, and John was obviously Jesus' cousin. There's a level of connection. John was the forerunner, the one that would actually make the way. And so Jesus obviously has a lot of emotional investment into who John is, not just because of the, the gospel part of it, because he's family. And look what happens here. When Jesus heard about it, he withdrew from there by boat to a remote place to be alone. It's important for us to be able to process disappointment with the Father. When it says he went to be alone, he wasn't actually going to be by himself. He was going to be alone with his Father. Throughout Scripture, you consistently see the strategy of disappointment as you get into the place where you withdraw and I'm going to be alone with my Father because right now I need the only source of truth speaking to me. I don't need Job's friends, right? I don't need a good idea, 
I don't need one more ministry email or strategy or podcast to listen to. Those are all good, and they're also beneficial in their season. But there's nothing like withdrawing back to a place and being with the Father and hitting the great reset, which is this. You and me, I'm in you, you're in me, your thoughts, your minds, your will, your purpose for my life. My, my cousin is dead, but I trust in your plans. I trust in your will. I will not become disappointed because my cousin died, and you didn't allow me to do anything about it. How many people know he raised Lazarus from the dead? He had the capacity to put John's head back on his body and him live. And yet, there was something that was, that was not the part of the Father. And Jesus had to deal with this disappointment. Evil has taken place. I just saw it when I got the report. I'm not going to repeat what, I, what Hamas did to those kids. And the Lord says, you want to see how I deal with the beheading? would draw back into my Father so you can become whole and keep your head on. Because here's the thing. If we react humanly, we'll get hyper-emotional, we'll get pissed off, and we'll act in the flesh, and suddenly we're not operating with the heart of the Father. We're operating with the heart of vengeance. And vengeance belongs to the Lord, not me. I need to get back into that place that says, reset. I'm not just praying for Israel. I'm not just praying for the innocents. I'm praying for Hamas to know Jesus. <laughs> the imams in Iran, they need to know Jesus. And if my heart gets so caught up in the crap, I won't actually call for mercy. I will call for vengeance. And the one who actually had the ability to call for vengeance was Jesus. And he said, I didn't come to judge the world. I came to redeem it. I'm not going to apologize for this emotion. I'm just telling you right now. It's like this is the, the pull on the heart. I think this is what Jesus went through. I think Jesus going, oh, Herod, man, I just, I want to take Herod out. But he didn't because he was tempted in every way. We're tempted, yet he was without sin. Why? He went back to his father. So I think the first step is get into the place. Get remote with your father and be alone. But listen to what it says next. But when the crowds heard this, they followed him on foot from the towns. As he stepped ashore, he saw a huge crowd and felt compassion for them and again healed their sick. When evening came, the disciples approached him and said, This is a place of wilderness. and It's already late. Send the crowds away so they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Look at Jesus' response. They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. I love Jesus. He, he, he takes what seems impossible and says, you can do that. You can do that. When the apostles learn in this moment to pull off the resources of Jesus, then they all of a sudden have the capacity to do the impossible. See, here's the thing. When we see impossible situations, we say, what do I have in my hands? What could I do about this? I can't do anything. And you're right. You can't do squat that's actually going to change it. But when you realize, wait a minute, who do I have to pull on? I have Jesus to pull on. All of a sudden, I have a capacity for something. Look what it says. They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. But we only have five loaves and two fish, they said. He's like, I can work with that. Bring them to me. Then he commanded the crowds to sit down on the grass. He took five loaves, two fish, looking to heaven. He blessed them. He broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And everyone ate and was filled, and they picked up 12 baskets full of leftover pieces. 
Now those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So imagine 15, 20, 25,000 people. Verse 22, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. This is kind of an important thing. It would seem sometimes in ministry, hey, we did a good thing, let's celebrate, woo-hoo. And Jesus is like, I don't want you getting your identity from that. You get your identity from my voice. Go ahead and leave. Go to the other side. I've got another assignment for you. I've got another purpose to show you. Let me handle closing out the ministry moment. And so it's important for us to understand, yes, we celebrate. Yes, we have testimonies. Obviously, we have the gospel of Matthew here that we're getting the testimony that took place. But let's just remember who actually did it. It was Jesus. Them pulling off of Jesus allowed them to give away what Jesus gave them. Look at what it says, verse 23. After dismissing the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. He does the exact same thing. Father, my heart was hurting with John dying. I got alone with you, and people wanted to pull off of me, and so I actually had compassion and ministered to them, but now I'm taking back a step again. If I pour out, I get back into this place of replenishing. This is the pattern. Pour out what he gives you, but you go back into the place and be continually filled with what the Father wants to give to you. It's so important. It's not going from ministry assignment to ministry assignment to ministry assignment. You will burn yourself out. It's about pouring out what he gives you. It's getting back into this place of overflow. Pouring out, getting back to this place of overflow. This is how we actually are going to be successful at being the light of the world to those that need it. When evening came, verse 23, second part of 23, when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already over a mile for land, from land, battered by the waves because the wind was against them. And around three in the morning, he came toward them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. And immediately, Jesus spoke to them and said, Have courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter said, command me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Notice that, that Jesus is never threatened by us pulling on him bluntly. He's, he's excited about bold prayers. Peter didn't say, like, well, if it pleases you, kind of, Daddy, please. No, no. Hey, if it's really you, command me. I, I, I want to go ahead, put your money where your mouth is. It's this, this aspect of it. Like, I so believe if it's really you, call me out. Call me out. And what does Jesus do? All right, I'm calling you out. Get out here. Often we bag on Peter for sinking, but what about the bold faith? What about the bold faith? We need to be more concerned about getting out of the boat than we need to be concerned about what's going to happen once we get out of the boat. Listen to his voice. Don't plan everything out. Just listen to his voice and go after it. Look what it says here. Verse 29, come, he said. Climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water, came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand, caught a hold of him, and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Which kind of tells me, I think, that there was both a spiritual attack that was taking place, because the enemy knew there was something that was about to take place and go into the other side of the sea, and he wanted to stop the disciples from getting to their destiny. You know where they were headed to? Gennesaret. 
Matthew chapter 9, we just read about Gennesaret, where he heals the woman with the issue of blood. Where was he sending them back to? Back to Gennesaret. The rabbi said that that was actually called the Garden of God. Now, I'm not saying that's the Garden of Eden, but in the, but in the rabbi tradition, what they would say is Gennesaret was actually called to the Garden. So get this. Jesus comes from this place of loss. He feels compassion for a bunch of lost people. He feeds them with the word of God. Then he feeds their physical needs. He goes and sees, okay, I'm going to send my disciples across the way. He sees them in trouble because he sees a spiritual attack. It was a spiritual storm that was blowing, trying to keep them from getting to the garden of God. What is a wind talking about? In the, in the book of Revelations, it talks about this rivers of water that flows out of the enemy's mouth. What's it talking about? Words, accusation, blowing against them. See, the enemy was trying to keep them from their destiny. Jesus sees this and says, now it's time for me to go for a walk. When he gets out there, the moment he gets in the boat, the attack ceases so that they can get to the other side and they can get back to what? The garden. Where was Jesus sitting at with his father? In the garden. He's alone with his father in the secret place. And it didn't matter if it was a mountaintop. It didn't matter if it was in a boat. It didn't matter where it took place in the world. He was able to find a place, the secret place from his father that is always representative of the Garden of Eden, which was intimacy with the father, where they were one, they knew each other, they had everything they needed, they were completely whole. What does Jesus restore us back into? The place of the garden. What is he calling people into? The place of the garden, this place of intimacy, a place of restoration of what wholeness actually looks like. So I'm going to read, start back at verse 30 again. I'm going to prove to you that he came out because, uh, one more thought here. The Lord told me this. He says, watch how the reason that Jesus had to get away with me in these moments after John, and even after this moment of being tired, he says this. In a moment, the enemy tried to show Jesus how big he was, tried to intimidate him, Try to get in the back down. How do I know that? Luke chapter 4, the temptation in the wilderness. He's tired. He's hungry. And the devil throws everything he can at Jesus to try to get him to come into agreement with him and to submit to the will of the devil. And it's the same way, the same temptation Jesus passed is the same temptation that Peter fails. Because look what it says in verse 30. When Peter saw the strength of the wind, now yes, was it physical wind? Yes. But I'm telling you, this was a spiritual attack trying to blow them backwards. And he became afraid and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reaches out his hand, caught a hold of him, and said to him, You have little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those in the boat worshipped him and said, Truly, you're the Son of God. Verse 34. Once they crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret. Let me hear you say Gennesaret. So again, notice the significance. Following a loss, he gets alone with his father. He performs a miracle of compassion. He crosses another storm that's trying to kill his chosen ones from getting to the garden of God. And it's also the exact same place where he saw a previous breakthrough. Why do I think Jesus went back to Gennesaret? Not just because he knew he was going to heal, but because after the disappointment with John, he needed to get to a place of a previous breakthrough. 
one of the keys to success in spiritual warfare of, of advancing the kingdom is when you have some sort of opposition, you need to get back to the place of your previous breakthrough. You already have a testimony what Jesus has done inside of you. Don't put your eyes on the circumstances. Put your eyes on the one who's actually brought you through circumstances already. If you're born again, say, I am. You already have one testimony of how he's rescued you from darkness. If that's the only testimony you have, go back to that one. Go back to a place of previous breakthrough. When you saved me, Jesus, you pulled me out of hell. Man, what breakthrough did you give me? What did I gain in the middle of that? What type of identity? What type of hope? What type of purpose did I find in the middle of my salvation when you pulled me out? Look what he does. He comes back to this place. Verse 35. When the men of that place recognized Jesus, they alerted the whole vicinity and brought all to him who were sick. Remember, he returns to a place of previous victory and breakthrough. Verse 36. They were begging him that, he might, that they might, listen to this, they might only touch the hem of his garment. Is there anything in Scripture up to this point in the law of Moses the prophets that would have told them, hey, grab a hold of the hem of his garment, and that's, that's how you're going to get healed? No. What did they have? The testimony of the woman. The testimony of that woman that said, hey, I had this illness for all these years. I grabbed a hold of him, and I pulled on Jesus, and I got healing and wholeness back. Suddenly, that testimony is causing a whole vicinity, a whole region. You want, we're planted in a region. There's 5 million people in our region right now. 5 million people. How many are sick? How many need a breakthrough? How many need hope? We need to, we need to bring Jesus to them so they can pull on Jesus. How are they going to know to pull on Jesus? When they hear your testimony. This is what Jesus did for me when I was in depression. This is what Jesus did with me when I was dealing with cancer. This is what Jesus did for me when I was dealing with arthritis or the loss of a loved one or any of those things. This is what Jesus, and I pulled on Jesus and I gained something. Because look what happens again. I just want you to read this. They began to beg him that they might only touch the tassel of his robe. And as many as touched it were made perfectly well. Perfectly well. Same Greek word, sozo. They were completely sozoed. They were begging him. They just wanted to touch. There's something about this word touch. I need to lay hold of. I, I, need, to, I need to grab completely. I need to get the influence. What am I grabbing and pulling on out of Jesus? And as many as touch him were made well. Again, this idea of sozo. Jesus brings something. Um, it's interesting that this, this Greek word of sozo adds a uh, something to the beginning of it, dia. And what it means is this thoroughly, properly save all the way, completely deliver from danger into safety. Literally to save all the way of cross, which brings someone through danger into a safe condition. So what can we learn from this? There's three areas that we're supposed to pull on Jesus. Three areas you can pull on Jesus. Number one, pull on Jesus as your stable foundation. Pull on Jesus is your stable foundation. Let me hear you say stable foundation. What does this look like? What's your identity? What foundation are you pulling from Jesus? Jesus knew who he was. He knew who his father was. And because of the, that beloved identity, the world had no part into him. The, temptation, the reason the temptations of the devil had nothing in him was because he knew who he was. He was stable in his identity. 
One of the keys to breakthrough is, is coming into beloved identity, but a key to making a foundation is walking in your beloved identity. It requires action on your part. It requires a pursuit of the Father. It requires this intentionality going, I'm going to declare, I'm a son, I'm a daughter, I am beloved. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. I've been transformed completely out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. I am God's favorite. Make these declarations. I am the bride of Christ. I am a chosen generation. I am His goodness. That's not prideful and arrogant. That's a statement of fact. Now, you can turn it into pride and arrogance, and the moment you turn it into, like, hey, I'm, I'm better than you because I'm Jesus' favorite, you just stop being His favorite. Because <laughs> in His love, He's going to go, Because he will humble the proud. Why? Because you're his favorite and he loves you. But he wants you to establish a foundation. Know who the Father is so you can know who you are. The other part of the foundation is strength. You must find your strength in him. You can't find it in what you do for a living. You can't find it in the hope of other people. You can't find it from money. You can't find it in the news. You can't find it in church. The church better not be your source of strength. It better be Jesus. Now, we will lend our strength to you, but we cannot be your primary source of strength. You need a stabilization, a stability of a foundation of the strength of the Lord. What did Jesus say? Come to me who are weary. You got a heavy burden wearing you down? Hey, yoke up with me. I'll be your strength. I'll be your strength. It'd be like this. I remember, um, oh gosh, Chris Gore, he used to, to uh, teach or lead the healing rooms up at Bethel. Uh, he's from New Zealand. He told this story about being on a construction job site with his dad when he was like five years old. And he says the most profound memory he had was going after school, after pre-K, uh, to go see his dad at the job site. And, and uh, he'd get there, and his, his dad would go, oh, Chris, so good to see you. Come on over here. I'll need your help. And so he'd go over, and he says, look at this big beam over here. I couldn't lift it until you came. And he says, all right, you go on the front of it. And where did his dad go? goes right in the middle of it. He goes, Chris, you ready? We can do this together. And they lifted it up, and they carried the beam together, and they set it down. And Chris says, did I carry the beam? And a lot of people say, no, you didn't. Yes, he did. Because he was able to co-labor with his father. See, when we come into this place, you need to learn where your strength is, not where it's being poured out. And so yoke up to him. The other part of your foundation is get in and understand what healing looks like. Not just physical healing, I'm talking about heart healing. He came to heal the brokenhearted. He came to bring you a foundation of freedom. Why do you need to come to baseline? So you can establish a foundation, you can establish a baseline for what this looks like so you can pull on Jesus for these things. The second thing that you're supposed to pull on Jesus for is the living word. You need to pull on Jesus as the living word. Let me hear you say, as the living word. This thing right here, it all points to him. Jesus is the word that became flesh. If you don't understand this from the perspective of flesh, Jesus walking around, then you don't understand this. You need the Holy Spirit. You need to pull on him to become the living word. There's promises in here. There's truth. There's peace. Your thought life. This is a wartime strategy. If you want to know how to be able to pray for Israel and or enemies or the nation, begin to go in here and begin to find prayers of declaration of tearing down strongholds. It says this, you've been given weapons that are mighty for warfare. They're not carnal. They're not physical weapons, but they're spiritual weapons that are mighty to tear down strongholds. 
You've been given permission to do that. But the only way you're going to know that is find it from here. Make these prayers and these declarations. Pull on Jesus as the living word. Say what Jesus is saying is what I'm trying to get you to. We like, we like to quote you know, people on, whether, on all the social media stuff. How about we start quoting Jesus more than we quote preachers? And I, ain't, and I am one, right? But don't quote me, quote Jesus. Because the word of Jay doesn't save. But the word of Jesus transforms everything. And the word of Jesus in your mouth becomes the word that saves. I want you to hear this. The word of Jesus on your tongue becomes the word that saves, that transforms, that delivers, that establishes and uproots. It's the thing that will actually turn the world to Jesus. So stand on him, pull on him as a living word. In your prayer, in your praise, decree, declare what Jesus is saying. And finally, pull on Jesus for your purpose. Let me say for my purpose. You need to live out the word. You need to become a word that's made flesh to others. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is Jesus saying, you will be. This is purpose. If you know your identity, you have a foundation of identity, now you can get to the place of your purpose. If you start with your purpose before you know identity, you'll operate in your purpose as an orphan. But when you can come into this place, knowing your identity as a son or a daughter, it allows you to step in the purpose so you can be a witness for Jesus everywhere you go. Let me ask you a question. Is Jesus wanting his witnesses to be orphans? No. Why do we emphasize freedom, healing, wholeness, identity? Because we're trying to make you a witness that Jesus can send. Leave that hang for a second. Pull on Jesus for purpose. 2 Corinthians 5.5. 5. And the one who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a down payment. 2 Corinthians 5.5. 5. The one who has prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a down payment. Proverbs 19.21. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purposes that prevail. Many are the plans of Hamas and Iran the Democrats, the Republicans, and every other political entity in the world, but it's the Lord's purposes that will prevail. Don't lose hope when you see the appearance that evil is winning. They are not king of the universe. Why was it so important for us in your presence? You're beautiful, you're glorious, you're matchless in any way. Why was it important? It was important for us to come back into, Lord, you're the king, and you're matchless. You're matchless. Hamas can't compare. The devil can't compare. I can't compare. But you are amazing. And so I'm laying down this foundation. It's your purposes that are going to prevail. So when I pull on Jesus, I want you to hear this. When you begin to pull on Jesus, you're not pulling on yourself. See, it doesn't take much to be able to take one of those gift tests, um, passion tests, things like that, to discover what Jesus put inside of you. And people who are lost can do those things. I mean, like on Facebook, you got what, what Star Wars character are you? What Friends character were you? What, like, like, it's like everything in the world. Oh, I'm this. Oh, I was Joey. Or I was, you know, like you're pulling on yourself. God puts something inside you, but you're pulling on yourself. What you have to go is, who is he? What's his purpose for me? 
I'm going to pull on his purpose for my life. Because when I do that now, I'm pulling on the one that has the ability to accomplish it. Because by yourself, you don't have the ability to accomplish it. But in him, as you pull on him, you have the capacity for his purpose. Philippians 2.13, for it is God who is working in you, both to desire and to work out his good purpose. He enables you to desire his purpose and to work out his purpose. And finally, Luke chapter 5. As the crowds were pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Gennesaret. Isn't it kind of interesting? Jesus had a favorite place he liked to hang out. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon Peter, and asked him to go out a little further from land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon says, we've worked hard all night long and caught nothing, but at your word, I'll let down the nets. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish, and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. So they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and says, Go away from me, because I'm a sinful man, Lord. For all those who were with him were amazed at the catch of the fish they, they took. And so were James, John, Zebedee's sons who were with Simon as his partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told him. From now on, you will be catching people. And they brought the boats to the land and left everything and followed him. I want you to pick up the place of Gennesaret, the place of the garden, was where people pulled on Jesus. They pressed in. I'm going to read that verse again, verse 1. As the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word. What did the woman with the issue of blood have to do? She had to press in to Jesus and pull on him. What did the people in Luke chapter uh, 14 have to do when the sick came? They had to reach out and pull on the living word. And when they pulled on the living word, they were made whole. And what's the purpose? He wants to take you as ones that people can pull on because they know they're pulling on Jesus. So why don't you stand up with me? Let's pray. So go ahead and close your eyes. Just ask this question. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me in this moment? Ask him to be really intentional and specific to you. How are you wanting me to pull on you today? What areas of disappointment do I need to leave behind? How are you drawing me into the garden of Gennesaret? Since there's some in the room this morning, you're needing a touch. You need to reach out and grab the tassel. You need healing. You have a physical thing you've been pressing in for. You need healing. There's others, you have some heart disappointment. You have frustrations. There's been situations you're going through, and the Lord's saying, just pull on me, and I'll heal your broken heart. If that's you right now, I just want you to be very intentional. Prophetically, just pull up on him. Pull on the tassel. Say, Jesus, I'm drawing off of you. I need the healing you made possible for me. 
heal my body, heal my heart, heal my soul, bring breakthrough into the situations surrounding me now. I just sense there's others in the room right now. He's been challenging you to go deeper with him. There's a part of what I saw was that you were actually fishing in a boat and there was frustration because he hadn't caught anything. And Jesus walked to me and said, your time of drought's over. Go deeper with me. Cast out your net and pull on me. Pull on my word. Pull on my promises. Pull on the foundation that I have for you. Pull on the purpose I have for you. As you step into my purpose, I will back you. So Jesus, we just thank you, Lord God, that you're working things out in a way that we can't possibly comprehend in the moment, but it's going to be good because you are good. And we just declare this right now in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, come on. Come on, somebody give a shout of praise in the room. Thank you so much for joining us as we seek first after God's kingdom and release it to transform lives and cities. If you would like more information about how to grow in the kingdom or connect with Legacy, go to our website, www.legacynb.com.